Welcome to the Century Church Podcast with Dr. Patrick M. Quinn. You can find out more information about Century Church at www.century.church or download our app at the Apple or Google Play Store. Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Patrick Quinn, lead pastor here at Century Church, and I'm excited to bring this message to you as we continue the series, Master Mind. Hey, if you uh, would join me in this, I would love for you to download the outline. It is on our Century Church app. You'll also see some things come up on the screen, but each and every week you can get the uh, outline even ahead of time if you'll go and download the Century Church app and you'll be able to follow along a lot better. Hey, we're in the third uh, installment, I guess that you would say, in this particular series, Mastermind, where we're learning to change the thoughts of our mind in order that we might change our life. And today we're going to learn something called reframing. Last week we talked a lot about ways in which to get our mind centered through prayer, meditation, through early morning, getting your mind right. Many of you are joining me for 828 morning prayer, and I'm so glad to have that community where we're praying together. I would encourage you to go there and be a part of that right now, especially in times like these. It's a great way to get your life centered and get ready. But today we're going to talk about reframing. And there's a phrase that I want to share with you real quickly to kind of get us thinking a little differently in our minds, and that is cognitive bias. Some of you have probably heard of cognitive bias, but cognitive bias is really a, a term that is, uh, is defined like this. It's a mistake. If you have a cognitive bias, it's a mistake in reasoning based on personal preferences or beliefs. A mistake in reasoning based on personal preferences or beliefs. In other words, it's, it's, it's also known as a systematic pattern of deviation, from the norm or from the rational judgment of your mind. And it's, it's a way in which we begin to think about the world based on our own personal bias, based on things that we thought were true, things that we have believed in our minds to be true. Now, let me give you an example of this. Uh, when I was much younger, I thought that, uh, well, I, I was a Florida State Seminole fan, went on to graduate from the Florida State University, Love the Seminoles, go Knowles. I know some of you are now doing your War Eagle and Roll Tide on the chat, but if you'll focus in with me, this is important what I'm about to say, because it's going to get right to your War Eagles and Roll Tides and anything else that you're throwing out there right now, and that's this. That was my cognitive bias. And so I could not imagine that anyone would like the Florida Gators. Can anybody? I mean, even you SEC fans, can you imagine liking the Florida Gators? Like, just ridiculous, right? And then, and then I met this girl, and this girl was beautiful and amazing and wonderful inside and out. She was stunning. I couldn't imagine being with anyone else. And then I found out she was a Gator, and her whole family, Gators. And I thought, this will never work. And here we are, decades later now, and we're still together, and I love her family, and I found out you can actually love gators. It's possible. Like, it can actually happen. But I had a bias, right? That was not anything that could be good coming out of Gainesville. Well, you know, the same thing happens in a lot of other ways that gets a little more serious. Um, I'll give you one. Like, my grandfather who fought in World War II in the Pacific and he fought against the Japanese. Japanese end up sinking his boat, and uh, he has, you know, near-death experiences. 
all those years growing up under, uh, under my grandfather and listening to stories from my grandfather and my father, uh, the Japanese were not thought of too kindly. So I grew up with this disdain or this thought that the Japanese were not nice people, only to find out years later that my stepfather ends up with orders to Okinawa, Japan, to which I spend two and a half years, almost three years of my life. And I learned to read, write, speak Japanese. I learned the culture of the Japanese people. I play baseball. I go to Japanese high school one day a week, my sophomore year. I had all kinds of fascinating experiences. And I come out of that realizing I love the Japanese. I love a lot about Japanese culture and their food is amazing. And I found out things that I didn't know that if I would have just gone on with my belief system my entire life, it would not have been true. There were some horrific things done in the past, but that doesn't mean that it has to be part of the present or part of my life in my generation. You know, another way to think about it is, um, and I've told several of you this before, I didn't, I didn't uh, grow up necessarily this ardent follower of Jesus. I didn't grow up thinking that I wanted to be a Christian. Part of that was because of some of my experiences in the church. I had a cognitive bias that I believed that Christian people were believing in something that wasn't completely true. I believed that they needed this crutch in their life so that they could make it through their poor, pitiful lives. There was some of that thought process that was spoken to me, that I thought that people that have religious beliefs, and especially these Christians that believe in this Jesus who's risen from the dead, that they had this need in their life because they were weak. Until you find out that we're all weak. Until you find out that we all get knocked on our butt. Until you find out that we all are frail and mortal beings, and that there is an immortal God that created the heavens and the earth, and that there is a way in which God has become the very essence of who we are in order that we might look more and become the very essence of him, as the scriptures tell us. You see, these biases feed into us depending on how we're raised, what part of the country we're in, our political beliefs, everything else is running right there. Our cognitive bias is ever before us. You know, one of the ways in which I've learned to think about this recently is through a book by Daniel Kahneman called Thinking Fast and Slow. And I don't have time to go into all of it, but thinking fast and slow talks about the fact that we have two systems running at all times in our mind. And I'm going to get to the way in which this relates to us with the Apostle Paul this morning. But we have two systems. He calls them system one and system two. And system one is the, is the system that we default to most of the time. In fact, system one is the fast system. It's the intuitive system. It's the system that, that takes mental shortcuts, like driving your car or brushing your teeth or putting on your pants in the morning or, or, or whatever it is. But we have tons and tons of mental shortcuts. And so system one is just easy for us. All those thoughts that you have that are easy. In fact, even your political thoughts or your religious thoughts or your thoughts on money or relationships, they all have a system one approach. And it's only when we can move beyond system one from time to time into our system two, and system two is our rational, logical side. And our rational, logical side allows us to rethink, in, order, in other words, reframe some things. Maybe think a little differently about money, about relationships, about religion, about the Japanese, about how I feel about the Florida Gators and their, and their fans. Although that takes a little bit more time to get to, honestly, than any of these other categories. 
But my point is, is that it's worth us having a discussion and looking into what Paul did in in, in, in other words, for us to be able to reframe our thoughts and actions because many of us carry these cognitive bias and we do it in a destructive manner. You know, system one is going to be there. We're going to take shortcuts. We're going to have our fast, intuitive thoughts. But here's the question. Are your fast, intuitive, mental shortcut thoughts, are they glorifying God? Are they bringing honor to him? Are they moving you closer to Jesus? Or are they constantly producing a path of destruction? This is the question today. And Paul frames it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we've used this passage before, and I want to share it again, because Paul is battling. He is, he is having a mental battle because he is in prison. He thought he was going to get to go proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in Rome. And then next thing he knows, he's in prison, and yet he has to find a different way and a different approach in his mind so that he can still accomplish the mission that God had sent him on. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Remember this, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. God is giving us tools that we can actually create a more healthy system one approach, that our fast, intuitive, mental thoughts do not have to be ones that lead us down paths of evil, but lead us toward the goodness of God. We have weapons that are not of the world. They are spiritual weapons. It says, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Do you hear that today? You have weapons to demolish the strongholds that take a hold of system one in your mind that take us down paths that we were never meant to go down. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We have the power, in other words... Think about this with me today. We have the power to take every thought captive. Now, how many times this last week did I fail at that? My sin is ever before me. How many times I fail to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ? But the good news is we have the power from God to be able to do that better and better and better as time goes on. Because you're either getting better or you're getting worse. You're not going to stay the same And so Paul's words before us are so important as we understand that we have a bias, but what is that bias going to look like? Is that bias going to lead us down a negative road or is it going to lead us down a positive road? Is it going to lead us more into paths of destruction or is it going to lead us into paths where we are bringing honor and glory to God, where we're living a life that is abundant? So reframing, what does reframing really look like then? Well, Reframing, if you want a a simple definition of it, it is creating a different way of looking at a situation, a person, or relationship by changing its meaning. Leave that up there. Let's look at it again. Creating a different way of looking at a situation, person, or relationship by changing its meaning. We got to reframe some things in our minds. We've used this phrase, this has been the theme of our entire time together in this series. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. Probably the best and greatest gift I ever received from my mother 
who I know is watching right now, was probably a $2 poster from Walmart or Kmart or somewhere. Of everything that I've ever received, other than life itself, is this $2 poster. I'm sure it was not more than $2. And I had all these other posters that hung up in my bedroom, and I had, I had pennants. If any of you guys, how many of you guys ever had pennants that you hung all across the top of your bedroom walls with all the Major League Baseball teams or your favorite football teams? Remember those old pennants? I had pennants all over my, my bedroom walls. And then I'd hang these posters of, of uh, players I liked, phrases that meant something to me. But my mom got me this poster once, and it was after some difficult times that were going on in my family. And this poster... $2 poster probably has had the biggest impact on my life, I think, than anything else that I've ever received. And the, and the poster was this creative, you know, it was colorful and everything, but it wasn't all the colors and the graphics, it was the words. The words have stuck with me my entire life. It's 10% of life is what happens to you. 90% is how you respond to it. And that poster hung in my bedroom for years. I hung it in my first college dorm room. That 10% of life is what happens to you. 90% is going to be how you respond to it. But you know what the truth is? The truth is we live the opposite way most of the time. Our cognitive bias and the way in which the world beats us down, we live as though 90% of life is what happens to us. And only 10% is how we respond to it. And I have found that some of my greatest successes in life, both in professionally, um, relationally, in, in every situation that goes on in my life, if I remember this quote, things begin to change. That 10% is what's going to happen to you. 90% is going to be how you respond to it. And you know how that's going to play out right now for us in coronavirus world? It's going to play out in some of us are still wallowing. Some of us are still whining. And I'm going to be a little tough on us right now. Some of us are whining about what's happening. Some of us are, 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 are still just in the depths of despair over what has happened. And those people are going to struggle for the next several years. Those people are going to struggle in relationships, in jobs, in whatever, and you're going to cry about it. And then there are those that are preparing their next greatest adventure. There are those that are taking that, this moment and they're like, no, 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 90% is how I'm going to respond to this. There are those that are starting new businesses. There are those that are getting closer to their husbands and wives because they realize how important that relationship is above anything else because you've been locked in your homes. There are those that are, that are coming closer to their kids right now. There are those that are realizing the frailty of life, that death is actually real, that we will have an end date, that the finish line for us is six feet under and then beyond to an everlasting life, that that is the truth. And many of us are coming to that reality and it's how you respond to it. And then... For some, they're even getting so close to God. Many of you finding that, you know what? A relationship with an eternal God is so much better 
than the temporary relationships that I have here on earth with stuff, things, and, and people that don't really care about me. Do you hear what I'm saying to you today? See, Paul, Paul was stuck in prison, and he could have whined about it. He could have said, now I can't do my mission. He could have said, there's no way for me to do this now, God. I've got to get out of prison. That's not what Paul said. Paul almost, and I would say really does, begin to give thanks for being in prison because now he has captive audiences called the guards that he leads to Christ, called the other prisoners around him. He like says, no, I'm going to, you're not taking me captive. I'm taking you captive. What if we thought about the coronavirus this way? What if we thought about our present situation this way? You're not taking me captive. I'm taking you captive. We're going to begin to change the script. We're going to begin to change the way that we do things. We're going to begin to change the way that we think so that as we come out of this, we change our life. I just want to encourage you. I know I'm stepping on some of your toes. Let's not be whiners right now. The world's full of whiners. Let's be people who are actually going to hold these thoughts captive. Turn them into some new energy, some new creativity, some new innovation, some new relationships, some new things that really matter. Let's let go of some old things that, that didn't really matter as much. And let's take hold of some things that have some eternal value and significance. Let's use this moment, much like Paul did in prison. You see, you got to reframe your mind. In fact, Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, he says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What if we could say that about coronavirus? What has happened to us has actually served to advance the gospel. How awesome would that be in your families, in your workplaces? How awesome would it be for the church of Jesus Christ, for us, that even as we come out of this, our church, the church, gets stronger and we say, you know what? What we thought was going to take us in a bad direction, what we thought was going to take us off mission, what we thought was going to bring us away from the things that mattered actually has now been used to advance the gospel. He says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. How awesome is that? You can't control what happens to you but you can control how you frame it. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. I love the story. As many of you know, I'm, I'm an old baseball washed-up has-been now. I love the old story of, of the kid who walks out into his backyard with his bat and his ball, and he announces for the whole world in his backyard, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he throws up the first ball into the air and he swings mightily at it and misses. He's stunned. Throws up the second ball in the air. Swings, misses. Stunned again. Strike two. He still believes, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. Throws up the third pitch. Swings. Misses. Scratches his head. In amazement. He announces, wait, 
I must now be the greatest pitcher in all the world because I just struck out the greatest hitter in the world. Isn't that amazing? Think about the way in which I love that story. It's a great perspective. Whatever it is that you thought was going to happen that you've struck out on, whatever it is in this time that you thought, man, this is no longer going to happen, it's a strikeout. Maybe you got to reframe your mind. Maybe it's not that you were supposed to be this great hitter. You're supposed to be this great pitcher. But too many people are going to sit and whine about not hitting the ball. When this young boy teaches us in this story, maybe it was more about throwing it. You know, what is it going to look like for you coming out of coronavirus world? What is it going to look like for you? Are you going to be able to reframe your mind? You see, in Philippians, Paul says in chapter 1, verse 14, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Because of my chains. You know what? I want to talk to mamas and daddies right now and grandparents because we're Century Church. And one of our beliefs is that we exist not just for ourselves, but for the next century. Well, the next century will probably have some problems. Would you agree? The next century will probably have some situations that will come up in their lifetimes. The next generations will have tumultuous times, maybe even some horrific times. Wouldn't we like to give them a gift as they move into a world that we'll never see? Wouldn't we like to give them a gift of how to handle a tough situation? Wouldn't we like to give them a gift that, hey, when bad times come, it only produced to advance the gospel even more? That we only dared all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. That it truly is 10% is what happens to you and 90% is how you respond to it. Wouldn't you like to give the next generation a gift? You see, today, maybe it's time to reframe your mind. Because system one is running and system one is telling you and informing you, and you're making most of your decisions off system one. Paul, I believe, had to make a change in his system one. He had to make a change. Those mental shortcuts had to be more about how was the mission going to continue, not that the mission was lost. And I believe for our church right now, for our families, for our workplaces, for the community, we need to be more about not that the mission has been lost, but how is the mission going to go forward now? And if each one of us will take some time to reframe that conversation in our own minds, I promise you our community will be better, our families will be stronger, and the church will be on fire. And I love that. And I want that for you, for me, for our community, for the world, and for the next century to send that generation into a world without fear. But let's reframe our minds. Let's begin thinking a little differently. Let's learn from Paul today. As we prepare for Holy Communion, let's be reminded that Jesus the Christ, the one who has come to save and to set us free, 
who has come to be the voice that is crying out for you to listen and to forbid these other voices to creep into your mind. And I don't know if, if you're watching this today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You're missing out. You truly are missing out. Jesus has reframed my mind, set my soul free, set my life on an adventure that I could have never had without him. I invite you to find that relationship. And the good news is you don't have to go searching far. He's already right there. Take the next step. Take one step toward him. Say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want you. Forgive me of my sins. Set me free. Help me to live a life that will bring you glory and honor. Help me to bring a life that is worth living. Help me, Lord, to walk into a new life with you. You'll just say a prayer today. You'll come rushing in. I believe that. And it'll be step by step by step. And gradually over the next days and weeks and years of your life, you might one day feel like I do. But there's nothing better than a relationship with Jesus. And I've come a long way from my first bias that Christians just needed this sort of thing. So as we join together in Holy Communion, I want to invite you to get some bread, get some juice, get whatever you have. Some people think that you can't necessarily have community right now, but I've found just the opposite. It's been a challenge to me, but I have seen the community at large come alive. Denise and Bella Posey put out a really, really great video. Well, you know, Denise's husband had a little something to do with it. It was a great video, and it reminded me this week that we truly can have community together. We can bake some bread, and we can take Holy Communion even apart, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, can knit us together. That's what I want to see happen right now for us. I want to see us have community together through Holy Communion. So some of you baked bread, some of you didn't, and that's okay. Grab some crackers, grab a loaf of bread, whatever it is, and let's take communion together.